soar through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Oh, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory. To wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Oh, Jesus Christ. My living hope. Oh, and hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. out with hope then came the morning then came the morning that sealed the promise no buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Hallelujah. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Come on, let's lift your voice, sing hallelujah. Oh, and hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, 
God, it is evident, it is evident just by this worship and by you bringing us here today that you care for those people who come here and are trying to give their lives for you. And Lord, I pray that, that in our hearts that we might be able to recognize that and genuinely look towards your faithfulness and not think that it's our faithfulness that earns that, but it's that it's your faithfulness that gives us faithfulness and that we might be able to rest in that faith, Lord. I do pray that you give us a blessing today, that you would bless... Um, the rest of this service that we might be able to really focus on you um, and that it might form our week. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take off my mask. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to Redemption Church Arcadia. Uh, we are gospel-centered and outward-focused, and we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. I'm Trey. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and actually, my specific role is the next-gen pastor. Uh, yeah, you, you can take a seat. Um. My role is the next-gen pastor. That's like next generation, but we abbreviate it because that's cool and hip. Um, but I actually have a couple announcements, and I'm excited to share them with you. First is this. Student ministry is ramping back up. First week of January, um, Wednesday the 6th, we're starting off. Wednesday is from 6.30 to 8.30. Meet here. If you have a middle schooler or high schooler and you're a parent, or if you are a middle schooler or high schooler, you should come check it out. Also, there's this. February 5th through the 7th, we're going on winter camp. Yeah, see, okay. So this, I think what we don't realize is this is going to be the first genuine winter camp that our student ministry goes on. And so the excitement in, this, in that is not just that we're going on winter camp, but also that we're, we're starting a rhythm that's going to be new and fun and exciting. And it gets us away from distractions and having a time away uh, that we could really focus on what God might be doing in our hearts and that we could really um, have a lot of fun as well. It would be a, it will be in Mountain Meadow Ranch, which is in Payson. Uh, and also, if you have any questions at all, come see me in the back. I'll be at the Connect Desk. And uh, if you have any questions about precautions and stuff, we are taking a bunch of precautions. Please come back. I'd love to talk to you. Anyway, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely 
oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the lords eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. We're going to wrap up our series, uh, Come and See uh, Advent series, where we've been focusing on uh, mega, different mega words in the scriptures. Today we have, um, we, today we're going to uh, conclude our series, and we're looking at mega pistis, which is great faith. And you all have great faith by being here two days after Christmas, so I appreciate you being here today. Uh, I wanted to describe to you one of the scenes that happened at our house uh, at our, during our Christmas meal, um, Liz had put together a nice sort of charcuterie type board. You know those things? I, I love charcuterie boards, and I don't ever get to have them very often. In fact, I don't usually even say that word. So I was really excited that my wife had made one of those for, for Christmas. And um, underneath our table was something that looks a little bit like this picture that we have here. We have a picture there? Yeah. It looked kind of like this. Anybody have any experience with something like this? Yeah. I mean, I figure in a, in a church that is pastored by Frank Switzer that there's probably general um, cognizance of what happens with dogs. Uh, so I appreciate this. We have, a, we have a dog. His name is Shep. And he's, this is not Shep, but he looks sort of like this. And he was kind of sitting under the table hoping, waiting for any scraps that would fall off the table that he could then plunder as his Christmas meal. You have experience? Yeah. Dogs are this way. They just, they somehow know that there is food coming off that table and they're going to get it no matter what. Uh, it's enhanced by the fact that I have a toddler, a two-year-old, almost two-year-old, he'll be two on January 10th, a two-year-old that is actually actively throwing food off of the table for the dog to eat. And we try to discourage this as much as, much as possible. We want to we make sure the dog knows his place in the house, right? And so we, we try to discourage this. And so we, we, we do things like we ignore Shep, but he keeps on waiting for the food. We, we do things like we tell him to go away, but he keeps on waiting for the food, right? We do things like we, we, we hurl insults at him. You know, dog shaming. You've seen those videos. But he keeps on waiting for the food. He is undeterred in his hope that he is going to get the scraps that come from the table. That's faith. That's faith. And we're going to see in our passage today, Matthew chapter 15, that faith is similar to this picture of this dog underneath the table waiting for scraps off the master's table. Now, before you all get offended, let's see what Jesus has to say. Uh, because this passage was truly eye-opening to me uh, in this last couple of weeks as I've been looking at it and wanting to talk about great faith today. 
the Lord has a few things in, our, in, in mind for us that I think that are different than how we typically view faith. So open up your Bibles if you would. Uh, but, and before we get into our passage in Matthew 15, I just want to give you what Strong's says is the definition of faith. So Strong's Concordance, mega pistis, great faith. Strong, uh, Strong's is saying that faith is persuasion or to be persuaded and to come to trust and faith. Further, it's saying that faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In other words, we can't conjure up enough uh, uh, thought or belief in order to have faith, but faith is a gift that God gives to people and not something that we earn or produce. In short, pistis for the believer is God's divine persuasion. It's distinct from human belief, but it's involving human belief. The Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believer so they can know what he prefers. For example, the persuasion of his will. In other words, faith, biblical faith, this word pistis, is that we are persuaded that God will accomplish his will as he said he would. Do you believe it? Let's look at our passage today. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. If you've got it in your Bibles, you can open that. Hebrews says it this other way. Hebrews says, faith is, let me quote it exactly. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. In other words, we are so persuaded that God's will will be done that even though we haven't seen it happen yet, we have faith that it will. Matthew chapter 15, if you're there. Starting in verse 21, that cute kid read it for us, whoever she was. <laughs> Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, I just want to say a couple of things about this. First, that Jesus withdrew, and he does this consistently during his ministry, that even Jesus needs sometimes that he goes away from the crowds in order to rest, even Jesus. Many of you are finding some time to rest right now, and that's a good thing. Many, some of our staff even is finding some time to rest right now, and that's a good thing. We as people, we need those moments where we can withdraw in order to be filled by the Lord and rest in the Lord in a way that is helpful. Even Jesus did this, and, and you can see it in the patterns of his ministry. And so he withdrew away from there. From there was where he was, he was surrounded by large groups of people. And this is, according to one commentator, this is actually the only time recorded in the gospel accounts where Jesus is outside of Jewish territory. So there's something different going on here than his normal routine where Jesus withdrew and he goes to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And here, behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of, God, of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So a couple of things that are happening here is that Jesus has withdrawn from the crowds and Mark chapter seven actually will say that Jesus has gone into a home and tried to hide 
not, not because he was hiding from anybody, but just that he was withdrawing to have this alone time. He was trying to be hidden, but he couldn't be hidden, says Mark chapter 7. And this woman has come and has found Jesus, even as he's withdrawn from the crowds. The word that Matthew uses is that she's a Canaanite woman. Uh, Mark actually says uh, Syrophoenician. Uh, the, the change here is that Canaanite, uh, Canaanite actually would have evoked for the reader uh, sort of the ancient struggle that went on between God and uh, between God's people and the other people of, of the Canaanites. It evoked sort of an ancient hostility that, or an animosity that would have gone on between normally this woman's people and Jesus's people. And this woman, this Canaanite woman, is coming in order to seek out Jesus, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. This woman has prayers that can be our model today. That as you're facing various things in your life, this simple prayer, and there's another one in a moment, this simple prayer, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, is profound and simple at the same time. Profound because it's indicating that God is exactly who he says he is, that he is the son of David. She's indicating in this phrase that Jesus is the one who is the ruler or the king of Israel, and even the king over her people, though she comes from a different, from a different people. She's claiming him as king, even though she's coming from a different people that had animosities towards the people of Israel. Are you with me so far? So this woman comes with faith that she can seek out Jesus, who is the king and who is the son of David. Understanding that Jesus will be the one who is able to help out with her daughter. Now, I assume that the daughter was not able to come to Jesus herself. And so the mother is coming on behalf of the daughter. And some of you may also resonate with that, that there are times in our lives that we will come to God on behalf of somebody else. Because this person themselves cannot come to God on their own. That we will supplicate to the Lord on behalf of somebody that is going through something that is so crippling to them that they wouldn't know to reach out otherwise. This woman is coming on behalf of her daughter who is possessed by a demon. It's also a stark reality that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities. Sometimes we need a reminder of that in our lives as well, that, that there are, there's a spiritual battle that goes on out there that we don't oftentimes see with our own eyes, but that is behind the scenes. And so this woman comes and approaches because she is persuaded that Jesus is able to accomplish his will. She has faith. She has been persuaded that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he is able to do what he says he can do. Got it? Now look at Jesus' response here, because this, this, this threw me. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. In other words, this woman has come and cried out for help to Jesus, and Jesus is silent. Now maybe some of you have experienced this as well in your lives, a time that you are crying out to the Lord for something that's going on, something that you need help with, and that you hear radio silence. Anybody? 
there are times that the Lord can be silent or, or can appear to be silent to us even in moments of our great need. And Jesus, at this moment, hears the request. We know he hears the request, but is silent. No response. Sort of like the times that we ignore Shep under the table. We know you want food. We're just going to ignore you. There's a few things that, that may be going on here. One is that he may be testing this woman to see if she actually has the faith that he can do this. What will she do if I remain silent? Two, he may be actually pausing so that those that are around might be able to catch up to what's happening in the situations. Those disciples, they were a little slow sometimes, just like we are. Sometimes Jesus may, may pause to let us catch up. Or three, there may be, have been a way that pausing was actually good for the woman and those who were observing in the process. In other words, there are times that God might be silent because it's good for us that we wait. And maybe you're facing something like that today where you have faith that God is the answer to your, your problem but the Lord is being silent and asking you to wait. Jesus, Jesus does not say a word to her in this moment. And his disciples came, going on in verse 23, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. So not only is Jesus silent, but the disciples are saying, put her away. Get her out of here. Now, I don't know if you can put yourself in the shoes of the Canaanite woman in this moment, but she's come to Jesus who she believes is persuaded will be the answer to her problems, and his disciples are saying, get out of here. Maybe sometimes you've felt that way as well. That the very people who have followed Jesus are the ones that are saying, Jesus doesn't have time for you. We don't have time for you. You don't belong here. Or maybe you've actually felt that way yourself, that you come to the king, but the people that follow the king weren't exactly as inviting. Anybody? There's nobody in this room. My experience has been that sometimes following the Lord can incur harm or hurt or opposition even from the people that follow Jesus together. It's because we're fallen and we're broken and we need the help of our Savior. And so the disciples are actually saying, send her away. She's, she's crying out after us. <laughs> the picture here is that they're actually probably walking and the woman's kind of getting closer and closer and getting louder and louder. Almost shouting by the time she gets near. This woman had to endure derision from others and yet remain steadfast in her faith and belief that Jesus was the hope that she needed. What is our faith like, one, when God is silent, and two, when people tell us that we're not worth his time? Does our faith endure? Or, or, or do we turn away at any sight of opposition? It's a question for us even now, today. Verse 24, he answered, this is interesting. The disciples tell, her to, to tell her, him to send her away. 
and, she, and he decides that he's going to now engage this woman rather than just sending away. Although, or maybe he thinks this phrase will send her away. He answered, verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this word lost sheep could include the woman. She probably was lost, although she was a Canaanite woman and not part of the house of the Israel. So what is he referring to here? In another passage, uh, we, we, we have uh, Matthew 10 and Romans 15. In both of these places, Jesus is indicated as having his mission come first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. You remember that from scripture? That the intention from Jesus was that he came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. His mission was to come to the house of Israel to save the lost sheep of Israel. And then the good news of Jesus would would circulate out from there. In fact, those that had come to believe would then take it to the ends of the earth. It wasn't that Jesus was saying that only the Israelites can be saved, but he was saying, first I've come to the house of Israel so that they might understand the good news. But she came, verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Here's another one of those simple prayers. Lord, help me. If you're ever in a place in your life and you just don't have the words, this Canaanite woman is giving us all the prayers that we need. Lord, help me. And you hear people say that all the time. Lord, help us. But does that prayer actually come from a persuasion that God's divine will will be accomplished? We just sang this in the worship, uh, in in that second song, Promises. It says, let my heart learn that when you speak a word, it will come to pass. This is the idea that we have with mega pistis, with great faith, that our hearts believe that when God speaks, it will happen. So she says, Lord, help me. A simple yet profound prayer. And it's also an admission that she is dependent upon him, knowing that he is the one who is able to help her. Verse 26, and he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How many of you heard this passage before? <laughs> Man. When, when I first read that, I was offended for, the, for this woman. What do you mean it's not right to take the food and give it to the dogs? Are you calling me a dog? Well, maybe. Although it wasn't quite that. Have you ever read something that the, the word of the Lord has for us and been just so offended by what it says that you just wrestle with it and you just don't quite know what to do? I felt a little bit that way reading this passage this week and studying it for the sermon. There were times that I was actually a little frustrated with this. Is Jesus saying that this woman is somehow second class to the children of God? Is, 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 is Jesus saying that the Gentiles are somehow second class to the the Israelites? Is Jesus saying that somehow this woman is less? And at the worst case scenario, is is he calling her a dog? My reaction, and I don't know if this is your reaction too, but my reaction is to be offended by something like this. And maybe you've also been caught sometimes reading the scripture and being offended by what God has to say. Anybody? Yeah. It doesn't often fit with some of our niceties or some of our 
correctness that we have today, that Jesus calls us out. The gospel in and of itself is offensive to us because it means that he's God and that we're not. And if you're like me, I sometimes get so caught up in my own pride and so caught up in my own offense that I don't actually hear what the Lord has to say. But this woman has great faith. She was undeterred even by this phrase from the Lord. Now, Mark says it a little bit different. Mark, the, the parallel account to this, Mark 7, says it a little bit different. In that passage, Jesus says, the children must be fed first. So in other words, it wasn't that there was a lower class kind of thing, but just again, a statement of purpose. I've come first to the house of Israel. That Jesus is saying, I'm intending first to feed the, the, the house of Israel. I have this conversation too with my kids sometimes. Where maybe I woke up early and got some bacon ready for the kids. Gotta, gotta make the bacon, right? My favorite, <laughs> my favorite breakfast food. I was gonna say my favorite breakfast food, but it's my favorite food. Bacon. I get up and I make the bacon and we're sitting down at the table and before you know it, one of the kids has just thrown one of those pieces of bacon to the dog. Hey kids, I didn't get that bacon for the dog. I didn't buy that bacon for the dog. I didn't make that bacon for the dog. I bought and made that bacon for you. I think that's what Jesus has in mind here. The children must be fed first. In other words, his focus and his mission at this time is coming to the house of Israel to save the lost sheep. And then there will be grafted into that house people from every tongue and tribe and nation. Praise God, because I'm not originally a part of that house. The Lord opens up the way from people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation to come into the house. And that he was so clear on what his mission was that he, he was not going to let somebody get in the way of that. Do you remember in John chapter 2 that we've just covered recently where Jesus says to his mom, it's not yet my time. He knows when his time is to do what he has to do. Because he is acting to accomplish his will. And so this woman is not deterred by this. He is not deterred by the fact that Jesus has said, I have come first to feed the kids, and it wouldn't be right for me to take that food and give it to the dogs. Many of us would have turned away several times by this point. I'm just being honest. Many of us would not have had the faith to have kept going here. Jesus is silent. His disciples are trying to send me away. He's now called me a dog. Many of us would have turned away. But the great faith of the Lord, his faithfulness, has inspired this great faith of the woman to keep going. She is so persuaded that Jesus is the answer to her problems that she won't be, uh, she won't be deterred by any of these things. I can share with you quite honestly, that I am in awe of the faith of this woman. Do you know that this is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus says directly to someone that you have great faith? The only time. There's one other place where he's talking to the Roman centurion, and he, and he says to everybody in, uh, that's, that's around, this man has so much faith. This is the only time that Jesus says directly to a person, you have great faith. And I understand why. I think I would have turned away several times by this. 
It's like that, that prayer, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I, reca- I recall this story, and I read this story, and I think to myself, I want to be more like this woman who is not put off by the circumstances of her life, but is so thoroughly convinced that Jesus is the answer to her problems that she'll put up with anything. Now, it feels to me like that's a different kind of mindset than many of us have today with our faith in the Lord and with the way that we engage life as a Christian. She responds in verse 27 and says this, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, I'm just not going to worry about the fact that I'm a dog in this scenario, and I'm going to respond and say, yes, I'll take the scraps. What faith. In a time, in a time, where it is ever increasingly important to have a place at God's table, can we be content enough to say, God, I will take your scraps? Whatever falls from your table, that's good enough for me. If I'm honest with myself, I don't know that I'm there, but I want to be. Yesterday, I was taking my daughter Savannah out to lunch. We, once a month, we, I have a lunch date with each of my kids. And we were in line at the place, and you know, I'm being super dad, and I'm taking her out to eat. And, and uh, the, the woman uh, behind the, the, the uh, counter is helping us, and she starts to take our order, and, and then <laughs> some other person comes in and, <laughs> and gives her an online order that had just come in, and she says to me, can you hold on a minute? I have to do this online order. And I got really upset. I'm just sharing with you guys now. This is confession time. I got really upset. And I was like, that's bad business. I, we're face to face. You've already started our order. You have to continue serving us. And I puffed my chest up and I said this to her. How dare you take an online order when I'm right here face to face in front of you? Now it's my confession. My daughter is horrified, right? (laughs) Dad, you're embarrassing me. (laughs) I'll try better next month, Savannah. I'm sorry. But I noticed even in that moment that I don't have this kind of faith. I want to, but I don't have this kind of faith where I say, God, whatever falls from your table. No, no, I want to be served because I'm in line and I'm here first and so you serve me first. And I think God is saying to us today as a church, I have enough food for all of you. I, I have whatever you need. You know what's interesting is in Matthew 14 and Matthew 15, right after this, there's the feeding of the 4,000. Right before this in Matthew 14, there's the feeding of the 5,000, where the disciples are seeing that that God has all the food that that is ever needed, that he can supply, and that we know that even though we're dogs underneath the table waiting for scraps to fall, that scraps from God's table are better than anything that we'll find in this world. 
anything. It's like what Psalm 84 says, that it's better to be a doorkeeper, a doorkeeper in God's house than to be out in the tents with the wicked. It's better for me to stand at the door and open the door for people to come in and out than it is for me to be in the tents of the wicked. Or as we read in our prayer time this morning, for those of you that were there in Hebrews 11, that Moses, Moses actually thought it was better to be mistreated as a person of God than it was to be counted as part of Pharaoh's household. I think the Lord has for us this message today that great faith is not deterred by the circumstances of our lives. And in fact, there may be times that we say as people of God that it's better for us to be mistreated as people of God than it is to be out there in the tents of the wicked. It's better for us to get the scraps that fall from the table than to try to boost ourselves up to be heard. It's better for us to take whatever God will give us than it is to be very picky about which food we eat. I'm preaching to myself. I think we find ourselves in a time as believers where we are sincerely lacking in this kind of faith. Where even if God's silent or even if somebody tries to send us away or even if somebody mistreats us or if God tests us or if there's opposition to the faith, we keep on going because we know that he is the only hope for mankind. Now, if we had another, if we had another hour or so, we'd, we would now go to Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12, and we'd look. In fact, if you have time this week, take a read. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12. It will build your faith to see how God has worked through his people throughout history. And Hebrews 10, in verses 19 to 25, it's saying that we have this confidence because Jesus is who he is and who he has done what he said he would do. So we have confidence to come to him. And in fact, he gives us, he gives us in that passage, the author of Hebrews, gives us, the, gives us five ways that we can practice this kind of faith. Let me just note them for you. Hebrews 10, 19 and 25 says this, uh, five ways that we can practice this kind of faith. Let us draw near to the Lord. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us not look, neglect to meet together, however that might look for you today. Let us encourage one another all the more as we see to the day approaching him. In other words, Jesus wants us to continue to walk in this kind of faith. That we might practice this. It's not that we gain or earn or build our faith by doing this. It's that Jesus has given us faith, and this is what the outpouring of that faith looks like. We draw near to the Lord. We hold fast to the confession. We consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. We do not neglect to meet together, and we encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. That's Hebrews 10. Hebrews 11 is going to talk through this whole history. They call it the hall of faith. The whole history of how people have walked by faith through the Lord, that Abraham had offered up Isaac by faith, knowing that God could raise Isaac from the dead. That Moses would rather be mistreated as a person of Israel than to be in the Pharaoh's household. 
that Abel offered the sacrifices, that Sarah gave birth to the child. We can go through story after story after story of how God's faithfulness resulted in great faith in his people. And thus, his purposes, his will was accomplished. By the way, it's, contra- it's contrasted with a couple of places where, the, where Jesus tells the disciple they have little faith. When, when the disciples were in the storm with Jesus in Matthew 8, and when Peter was sinking on the water in Matthew 14, both times Jesus says, you have little faith. In other words, you don't have the persuasion that I'm able to accomplish the will the way that I am able to. At the very end of this passage in Matthew 15, Jesus is going to compliment this woman on her faith. Verse 28, then Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The daughter's not even there. And the daughter's healed instantly. In other words, Jesus is able to accomplish his will. And faith is the persuasion or the belief that he's able to do that. A question that I have for us today is this. Are we able to, like this woman, be undeterred by the things that this world might throw at us and persist with the Lord because of the great faith that he has given us? Maybe you're somebody who has is in a period of silence from the Lord, or maybe you're somebody who has been offended by somebody or offended by God himself. But may we be so thoroughly convinced. Remember remember our dog at the beginning? Thoroughly convinced that what God has for us is best, that we're undeterred by any circumstance in our lives. I'm going to read Hebrews 12 as our closing to the service today because I want to read that whole passage for you as our benediction later on. But for now, my prayer is that we would be a people who have great faith in the Lord, mega pisti, because of his faithfulness. And that that would play itself out in our lives in a way that would not be cast off by the things that we go through on a day-to-day basis. I think this is a good message for us at the end of 2020 and going into 2021. I'll just quote a couple of my colleagues from the last couple of weeks. Tyler James said, hey friends, there's no guarantee that 2021 is gonna be any better than 2020. And that's right. We need great faith going into 2021. Frank Switzer said, friends, what do we think is going to give us peace? Is it science? Is it education? Is it the government? Is it money? No, it's Jesus. Friends, we need great faith to know that Jesus is the only hope for the world. And may we live a life that is born out of that great faith. That he will continue to work his purposes in our lives the lives of our families and our friends and our church and our neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth. May he be glorified. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we do ask that you would give us
great faith based on your faithfulness. God, that you would increase our faith. That we might be a people, Lord, who are so convinced that what you have for us is the best. That we will persist despite the obstacles and the testing and the trials and the things that come our way. And Lord, it is a difficult time right now. So I don't belittle what we're going through, Lord. In fact, I pray that you, God of peace, by your spirit of peace, that you would meet each person listening to this message, that you would be with us in such a way, Lord, that you would be our peace and our hope and our joy. Whatever the situation is that people are going through, Lord, and each of us has our own. Help us to know, Lord, that our faith is built upon your faithfulness. And that though though there are things that may come, trials, difficulties, that, Lord, you went and endured the cross for our sake, that we might know for sure that you have overcome sin and death and the devil and destruction. And that, Lord, that you have offered new life. by your body and your blood, that all who believe would be saved. God, we praise you that you are making a people of every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And Lord, we pray that you would empower your church to share your gospel in all the settings and around all the tables that we find ourselves in. And that you'd be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're going to move into a time of communion. If you don't have one of the handy self-serve communion packs, they're in the back. You feel free to grab one as we respond today. You can respond in a few different ways. By receiving communion, by praying, by worshiping, by giving. There's giving boxes in the back. My prayer for us is that we would rely so deeply on Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith, that though we be considered a fool by the world's standards, that he would continue to work his purposes in our lives. So we take now communion. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus met with his disciples for one last meal. And he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And he took also the the cup and he, he said, this is my blood poured out for you, the cup of the new covenant. Take and drink. Jesus says, I'll not drink this again until I'm with you in heaven. So we find ourselves, friends, in the middle of God's story, where he is working his purposes, may we be consistently persuaded that he's doing that today in our lives, even as we take communion today. So God, we pray that you would bless these elements, that you would bless these people who take your communion, that you'd be glorified in this too, and that, Lord, that you would allow for your church to be built up on your faithfulness, and that that would be evident in the way that we walk and the way that we live, even in the things that we face today, and pray it all in Jesus' name.
you ready, would you stand and worship with us? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings? Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory. Who is the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you that he's worthy of all of our praise all of our trust let's sing this worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain oh and worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. Oh, that you would take my place. That you would bear my All that you've done for me, oh, 
Thanks, Chandler and Emily, for leading us in worship. Appreciate you guys. So I want to offer this as our benediction. And, and by the way, I do really want to encourage you to read, if, if you have time in the next few days, to read Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, and let it be an encouragement to you, uh, as it was to me as well this last week. Uh, so our benediction is going to come from Hebrews chapter 12. And he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. May God in his grace cover you today. Go and live all of life for all.